Have you ever considered why God made and created uh, mankind? Have you ever thought about that? I know that's kind of a, a big question or thought, um, but sometimes I do ponder why. And this morning we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit. Why did God create mankind? And, and it's not that I'm going to be able to authoritatively tell you why, but I want to suggest or just kind of, yeah, suggest some ideas of perhaps why that happened. And I want to talk about, well, you're going you're gonna to see it's a, um, this is an encouraging, an encouraging message. Um, have you ever considered that maybe God the Father cherished his relationship with his son so dearly that he actually wants a bigger family? And he wants more children. Now, if you've been a father or are a father, then you, I guess if you've become a father, you've, you're always a father, but uh, you know what it's like to have children and to love children and for them to love you and to have that relationship with them. There's just nothing like it. It's absolutely the biggest blessing that you could experience in your life. And I, I, have, I have no problem believing that probably one of the big motivations for God in creating mankind was to extend his family. He had enjoyed, was enjoying, and enjoyed and loved his son so much, he wanted more children. So with that thought in mind, I just wanted to, to look at a, at a few things. So we're going to go back a little bit and talk about... Um, how this kind of started. So God, when he decided to enlarge his family, created Adam and Eve, his son, Adam, his daughter, Eve. And the intentions there were uh, incredible. If you think about it, you, you look back in Genesis and you, you see glimpses of what it was like. He, he put them in this incredible garden that had everything that they need, that they needed to, to be sustained. Uh, that he put them uh, in charge of caring and looking over the, the animals and the, uh, the, the trees, the, the things that were growing and all of that. It was, it was incredible. There were trees in the garden that he said, you may eat from any of these trees, one of them being the tree of life that gave them eternal life. They could eat from that fruit, from that the fruit from that tree. They had everything that they needed. It was incredible. And not only that, though, I think one of the most incredible things about it is God walked with them in the garden. He walked with them in the garden. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Now, I know that we walk with God and his spirit is with us, but there's just something about when you read that and you realize he walked with them in the garden. So we look at this picture of God having this grand plan to extend his family, to add more children into his family, to be able to have that loving relationship with his children like he has had with his son. And so he creates Adam and Eve. But as we all know, that, uh, that plan went in a direction that he did not want it to go. But because of free will, he gave them a choice whether to obey his commands and his warnings or 
or not. And as you know from uh, the story, it was a um, sad thing when they chose to not only not believe what he was saying uh, as far as his commands, but, but not believe in the warnings that he gave them. And we know what happened with, um, with Satan and the serpent and deceiving them. And that rebellion basically uh, altered God's plan for extending his family. So what he had made holy and clean was now soiled and stained. It was unfit for his presence, a holy God. So they were banished from the garden. They could no longer eat from the tree of life that gave them eternal life. And they could no longer walk with God. Sin had now separated them from a holy father. But, but because of God's great love for mankind, he made another way for many to become part of his family. And that's what we're going to hone in on this morning. So this time, he chose to do it through a faithful son. Unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus believed God and obeyed him. He believed and obeyed his commands, believed his warnings. He was faithful. And because of his faithfulness, God now is willing to accept into his family all who come by way of him, of this faithful son. And so we have actually been invited to join God's family. But the way he's doing it this time is through marriage. The opportunity to join and become a child of God is through marriage. Now, I'm a father who has just married two daughters, and I really, I kind of always looked at that day as being, as having to tolerate this young man, you know, for the sake of my daughter wanting to be married, having to put up with that. And you fathers who have done this for, you kind of know, but, but here's the thing, God, uh, well, I won't go get off of that, but I love my son-in-laws. So it's been an incredible uh, experience for me. So I have been able to, I've got five kids, and so uh, we already were a big family, but I've been able to grow my family now through marriage. And uh, I've got four daughters and one son, he's right in the middle. And so I've always adored my son. So the opportunity to have more sons, because we thought, you know, okay, well, we've got four girls and one boy, that's, that's good, and, but, we're, but we're done. But now I've got actually two more sons. So it's just an incredible way to, to, for our family to be extended and for me to have that relationship that I have and have had with my son and I adore so, so dearly. Now I am able to have that with my son-in-laws. So I, uh, if you've gone through that, you, you've experienced it. But I think this is at the heart of what's happening here with God choosing a new plan and coming up with this plan, knowing that his son, Jesus Christ, would be faithful. And he tested that. And Jesus proved to be faithful. And so now we have all been invited 
to have the opportunity to be joined and, and to be adopted into God's family through marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. So I want to look at a few passages. So I, we want to, this, this is scattered and speckled all throughout scripture. Let's talk about um, marriage and a wedding. In the Old Testament with God and uh, the Israelites, his people who he um, was husband to them. He, he, make, he uses that metaphor all the way through to uh, the end of Revelations. He's using this and talks about the bride of Christ and the church as the bride of Christ. Now, I've always struggled with this, and you men will understand, when you start talking about us becoming the bride, it just gets lost on us. And it's okay, guys. It, it happens to me too. And, uh, but it's not only that he, he and we're going to see some examples, he doesn't always, he doesn't always use bride. He also uses uh, those who attend this wedding uh, celebration and those who are worthy to attend. And so, just, it's okay, guys, just relax. If it's, just know that we're not going to be having to, you know, put on uh, these bride clothes and stuff like that. But there are clothes involved, and we're going to get to that. Uh, but just know that this is, this is a illustration of what God is doing to bring children into his family and uh, to, to allow us to, be, to come back into his presence. So we're going to look at that. So starting with uh, just an example in, in Revelations in chapter 21. So we'll have it on the screen here as soon as I turn this on. So Revelations chapter 21, and this is verses 1 through 8. So this is towards the end of, of Revelations. And what this is, is um, again, as we talked about Revelations uh, some before in the uh, letters that Jesus wrote to the churches at that time. And this is some of what John is seeing now. And so he's describing it here. And it says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus talking. The beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars... Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now that's a, some hard-hitting words there. And it's, you see glimpses of not only talking about the bride of Christ, but also this city that's mentioned often uh, in Revelations, especially this new Jerusalem, they call it. And John sees this new Jerusalem coming out of the sky. And coming down, and he's describing what this looks like. But basically, this is where the bride or the, the people of God uh, are residing now in this new Jerusalem as it, as it comes. And he's de describing that. And so this city has gates. And I mean, the, the, the description of this city is incredible. Uh, if you want to take the time to read it in that chapter. What John says here, is just, what we need to take note of is this is a city that not everyone can get into. It's not just open gates, anyone can come inside. 
And we must pay attention to that. And in chapter 21, it ends uh, with this statement about this heavenly city known as uh, the New Jerusalem. And we look at uh, verse 27, it says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but also those who are written, but only, excuse me, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Pay attention to, uh, just as a side note, uh, it says, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. There's a lot of false falseness going on in this life. People living lies, living lives that are false and distorting truth. And scripture tells us very clearly that those who live lives of falsehood, lives that are false, liars and those who live that way will not be entering the city. Here's a Another passage. And again, remember that this is where the bride is going to be in this city. And this is where those who become the bride are entering in and dwelling there. But here's another example of the requirements. In chapter 22, starting verse, uh, sorry, that is not the right one. Let me just see if I got it afterwards. Yeah, I think... This is it. It's got the wrong reference up there, so just ignore that. I think this is actually 22, starting in verse 12. But it says, Jesus talking here, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. It still exists, and he's going to give people, his bride, access to it again. And they eat and, and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. Now we see mentioned here that um, only those who have washed their robes will be permitted to enter this city. It's an interesting uh, thing. So what is this that, that they're talking about? Now I want to back up back to when Jesus was here on this earth. And as you know, he shared many, many parables and several times he uses a wedding to describe the kingdom of God. And this is one example. It's in Matthew 22. So we're going to read this whole parable. And this is Jesus speaking. So we're reading his words. Jesus also told them other parables. And he said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fatted calves 
have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. Now you would think it would end here, but Jesus goes on. Pay attention to this one. Jesus says, but when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus breaks out of his storytelling to sum it up with this one line. And he says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Fascinating parable. And remember that he, he started this parable with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like this, is comparable to this. Now it's easy for us to, to see the parallels here. The king being God, the father, the son being Jesus Christ, his son, and the great wedding feast that we know described throughout scripture is coming for the marriage that's going to take place. And we know that those whom God invited first, the, the people of Israel, his people, his chosen people, <coughs> those people who he had invited they ignored the invitation. They went about their business doing things they wanted to do, not what he wanted them to do. And they mistreated his servants, those who went to invite them and, and extend the invitation. And some were even killed. They were not worthy. So Jesus, uh, excuse me, so God the Father extended this invitation. And as we know, he extended it to the Gentile nations and gave us the opportunity to be grafted in, as uh, Paul talks about in his letter, to be grafted in. So we have been extended the opportunity, the invitation to come to this wedding feast, this wedding celebration. But it, it doesn't end there because not only do you have to respond, but there's a, there's a certain dress code. There's an expectation of what we will be wearing. And so, first of all, it's up to each of us to respond to the invitation, to respond uh, and be certain that we attend. And then we, if we simply ignore it, that's to our peril, but also, just showing up without the proper wedding clothes is a grave mistake, as Jesus illustrates clearly in his parable. 
So we must be ready, wearing the, the right wedding attire. So how do we get them? What, what is that all about? Let's look at scripture to explain that. I first want to look at quickly Isaiah 61, starting with verse 1. Now you'll recognize this passage as I read it. It's the passage where Jesus revealed himself. So remember he had gone into the synagogue. They asked him to read the scripture. They gave him the, uh, the scroll. It was Isaiah. And he goes to this place in Isaiah and reads this passage we're going to look at. And that's when he says, this is fulfilled today in your sight. And he's revealing himself as the one this passage is describing. So let's look at it. And it's often described as the good news for the oppressed. And it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, Jesus stops here. It goes on, and we'll look at what the next line is, but it goes on. He stops here because this was the time of the Lord's favor. Jesus was on this earth. God has sent the Savior, the Redeemer, to the earth, and he was revealing himself, and that was God's favor on us. But just as the king in the parable had extended the invitation, had shown favor to everyone out there who they could get to come, he had shown favor that they're extending, he's extending the invitation to them. If that invitation is ignored and rejected, then the next line that Jesus um, did not read at that time will ring true. And it says this, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Some uh, translations will say the vengeance of God. And we know that to line up very, very well with the parable Jesus shared. And the king, who was so angry, he had extended out of mercy the invitation for them to come to this wedding feast. They didn't deserve it. They weren't worthy at that time. But he extended it to all, good and bad alike. Some rejected the invitation. Some even mistreated the servants who were giving the, the, the announcement. Some did respond. But they came to the wedding carelessly, not prepared, not dressed in the proper clothing. In Isaiah, just a little bit farther down uh, in that same chapter of 61, verse 10, it says this. And this, when you, when you read this, know that Jesus Christ has made this possible for us. The son who was faithful, who was without sin, who obediently carried out all of God's commands while he was here and proved to be the faithful son who then willingly died gave his life for us all because we were not able to do this, nor Adam and Eve. Uh, he was able to do this for us. And because of that, this next passage is a truth that we have access to, that this actually applies to us. And it says this in verse 10, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me 
with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. And here's the thing about this. The robe of righteousness belonged to Jesus. He was the one who had earned this by his faithfulness to God. But he willingly forfeited this and stood in our behalf, took upon himself our sins, our punishment, the wrath, the vengeance of God that was coming to us because of our rebellion. Jesus stepped in and took that upon himself so that this clothing can be made available to us. And you may have seen this picture before. I just thought I'd put it up there. It's such a, I don't even know what the artist is, but it's a, I just think it's a beautiful rendition of, to give you an idea of kind of what that might look like. Well, in Revelation 19, starting verse 6, it says this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And the writer says, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. There's no trying to figure this one out. They give us the key to this. This is what the, this is what the, the wedding clothes are. This is what we are to be wearing. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Your translation may say righteous deeds. So this is a glimpse in Revelations. This is a glimpse. This is a vision of that great wedding that's been talked about throughout Scripture now beginning to take place, beginning to happen. Now it's a vision. It hasn't happened yet. That's actually coming. That's coming for us. This is, this is going to happen. But it was, it was John receiving that vision of what it looks like, and he's describing it to us. So our wedding clothes are our right, our, our, our wedding clothes are the righteous deeds that we have done. But listen, these are not deeds done in our own righteousness. Hear me when I say this. These are not deeds done in our own righteousness. These are deeds done in the righteousness God has given us. And this is a very important distinction. Our own righteousness are like filthy rags. Paul says they are filthy in the sight of a holy God. So when we do the deeds in our own righteousness... It's like filthiness to God. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. 
Adam and Eve could not even continue in his presence because of what they had done. They were now unclean. They were now, they were no longer righteous. We cannot go, please do not try to go into the presence of God in your own righteousness. No, this is only doable in the righteousness that God has draped over us, made available to us because of his faithful son, Jesus Christ. In Psalm 51, verse 7, the psalmist writes, Cleanse me with his, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Now we know his, we remember his, Back in the day, the people of Israel trying to escape Egypt and God was going to bring them out of Egypt and he gave them very clear instructions on what to do. And they were to take the, the sacrificial lamb, sacrifice his lamb, collect all of the blood. Do not let the blood spill. Collect it in a basin, but don't let it sit there. He said, take a hyssop branch, dip it into the basin of blood and put it on the doorpost of your home. And when the the angel of death comes over and passes, uh, it comes through the town, through, the, um, through Egypt. He will pass over your home. When he sees the blood on the mantle, on the doorpost, he will pass over your home and you will be spared. But not if the blood is in the basin, not if it's spilled on the floor, not if you procrastinated and didn't have uh, yourself ready. It was when the, the precious blood of that sacrificial lamb, lamb was seen on the doorpost. This is, this is what this is talking about. Cleanse me with hyssop. God, take that branch and cleanse me with hyssop. Make me white as snow. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb, can do this. And it must be applied. It must be applied in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, it says this. This is God talking. He says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. There seems... That to be a responsibility that we have in this. We saw this mentioned earlier in Revelations in, in chapter 22, verse 14, where it said, blessed are those who wash their robes. We also see it elsewhere in Revelation, such as Jesus' Jesus's letters to the churches that we looked at weeks ago. For example, look at Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 4. Verse 4 and 5. This is Jesus' letter to the uh, church in Sardis. This is Jesus talking to believers. To believers of what's coming. Jesus wrote a letter to believers. This is not looking back. It's looking forward. And he says this. Yet you have... He's, he's already given uh, his his rebuke, his correction. And then he says, yet you have a few people in Sardis 
who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. And we see it again in the next letter, which is to the church in Laodicea. It says, Jesus says to them, after giving rebuke, He says to them, So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. There seems to be this responsibility on our part of washing our robes The robes aren't robes that we've made, that we've created or even pulled out of our closet, so to speak. They're robes that have been given to us by us going to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And God giving us the robe that belonged to His Son But it's not just putting it on once and forgetting about it. It's making sure it remains clean. It's making sure that when it needs washed, we wash it. It has to be washed by the blood of the Lamb, the only blood that can wash it and make it clean, white as snow, bright, pure. Nothing else can do that. Nothing If we dare to wash it in our own righteousness, it's going to be a filthy rag when we show up at the wedding. No, God still wants a big family. And He will get this family through a new covenant. A covenant of marriage. He has invited each of us to this great wedding celebration. No matter how good or bad you are right now, it does not matter. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter the thoughts that go through your head. It does not matter the sins you committed last night. It does not matter the things you did 10 years ago. You are being invited to the wedding celebration. You are being invited to be married and brought into the family as a child of God. But he has the king, the father, who's putting on this wedding celebration, has requirements. Sometimes we we use the word unconditional. We've overused it. It's not even a word that's in Scripture that that describes this, but we've we've used this word again and again and again. And I get it. Listen, the, the invitation is unconditional. It doesn't matter what you have done and how filthy you feel. It doesn't matter the horrendous things you've 
you've done or thought about, he is inviting you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died and the invitation was extended. But if we think that we just show up, having not taken the care, taken the care to, to prepare for this wedding celebration, to prepare to make sure we are wearing the proper wedding clothes, to make sure they are, they are clean, that they've been washed and made white as snow. We could be making a grave mistake as the man did who, who, who was found by the king at the wedding party without wedding clothes. Pay attention when we see scriptures like that. Pay attention. But this, this, is, this is the requirement. You must respond to the wedding invitation. You must go to God who's hosting this. And you have to turn away from your way, your path. You have to turn from that and go to God. That's what repentance is. There's a, there's a turning away from your, your path, your way, and turning to God in His way. And by doing so, you can receive forgiveness and cleansing, and you can start following his way. The other thing is that you must be certain you are wearing the appropriate wedding garment when you show up. Throughout scripture, it talks about wash your robe. It's talking to us believers. Be prepared. Be ready. Be waiting. Have oil in your lamps. That's a whole another parable. Maybe one Sunday we'll do that one. Be ready. Wash your robes. Paul refers to it often as, as put off the things of, that you used to do. Take them off. Put them off and put on the righteousness of God. Put on those righteous things that belong to him, his way. The church, the believers were described as a way, the way, because they lived in a certain way. They lived in God's way, his way, his way of righteousness. Put off those things and put on those righteous deeds, those righteous acts in his robe of righteousness. When he gives you that, you can start doing those righteous things, but don't try to do them in your own self-made robe. It's a filthy rag. Get it off. God's mercy and grace is unconditional in that he's extending the invitation even while we are in our sins. But he has requirements for this wedding celebration. So pay attention. The garment is a robe of righteousness that only God can give us. And he only gives it to those who come to him and acknowledge his son, Jesus Christ, with a desire to celebrate him. The robe must be worn and it must be clean. While we are wearing it in preparation for the wedding, it will, listen, listen, it will likely get soiled and stained. Especially when we find ourselves on the wrong path 
possibly wading through the muck and the mire. But Scripture tells us that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is how we wash our robes. That is how we return to his path and remain ready for the great wedding that is coming. This is worth it. This is worth it. When you begin to read the description of the new Jerusalem, the description of what it's going to be like, oh my goodness, it is worth it. Not only, I love this part, it talks about there will be no more need for the sun and the moon. There will be no more need because the light will be from God. He will light everything. His light will light everything. And you know what else? There will be no more night. I just get so excited about that. There's no nighttime. I love daytime. I just really don't care for nighttime. I love the light. Morning time is just, I love morning time. This will be a place of only light. It will be a place where there will be uh, rivers flowing out from it. And, and, and trees that have fruit that give you everlasting life that we will be able to pick from. Oh my goodness. No sickness, no pain, no mourning. Does this not sound worth it? Amen. The king, God the Father, is going to have a wedding celebration. It is happening. It is happening. And many are invited but few will be chosen. Why? Because so many are going to ignore the invitation, but then there will be a lot of people who responded to the invitation who did not prepare and are not wearing the proper wedding clothes. Don't let that happen to you. Don't, there's no need. God says, come to me. Let's settle the matter. You are stained. You're soiled. Come to me. Let's settle this. Though your sins are red like scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Your robe will be washed in the blood using the hyssop branch. They will be, it will be washed. You will be white as snow. Let's settle this. That's what God is saying to us. So often we allow our, our guilt and our shame to keep us from the only one who can cleanse us. Don't let Satan dupe you like that. Don't let him fool you. No, the first thing we must do when we have sinned is we must go to the one who has said, come to me, confess your sins to me, and I will be faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I will make you white as snow. And do that again and again and again and again if necessary. But listen, you will start to realize it's so much better to walk around with a cleaner robe than a, than a soiled one. You will begin to hate sin. Not that you will be, you know, not that you will ever, never be stained from it again, but you will know how to keep an assured account. You will know. No more of this hard heart, ignoring God, ignoring what you've done, going on about life, No. God will make your heart a heart of flesh. And his spirit, when he convicts us, we know we must respond as hard as it might be. That's the thing. That's when you can really tell someone who's walking with the Lord in such a way because as soon as that 
offensive thing comes out of their mouth, they know, man, I'm going to, I'm going to have to eat humble pie now. I hate it. I, 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 can any of you relate? I speak sometimes and I'm like, no, no, no. And it's gone. And I know I'm going to have to make it right. But there's so many other things. But that's the thing about when we're walking with God, we keep these short accounts. I, I blew it. But I know who to go to to make this right. I know who to go to to receive cleansing. And we do this as much as necessary. And we, we push towards that mark. We just keep our eyes on that mark. Not looking pat, back. Paul says, don't look behind. Look forward towards the mark. Listen, if you have, if you have never gone to God for forgiveness and cleansing. Why, why ignore this invitation any longer? There's no need. No need. Turn to him. Allow him to cleanse you. If you've responded to the invitation, but you found yourself in the muck and the mire, if you're off his path, don't keep, don't keep sludging through that stuff. Don't. Don't continue down the wrong path farther and farther. Don't. The wedding celebration is coming. We must be ready. There's no need to continue down that wrong path. Turn back to God and allow him to cleanse you. Allow him to make your robe sparkling white again. And be ready for that celebration. Let's pray. Father, we are just at all that you want to extend your family so much that you've gone to such lengths to make this possible. But this is the way and we must walk in it. Thank you. Thank you for this marriage of the lamb that's coming. Thank you for the invitation that you've extended to all of us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you're willing to wash us white as snow. That you were willing to give up your only faithful son so that he, through his death, through his pain, through his shed blood, his broken body, we now can have access to the robe that belonged to him. Thank you for that incredible, incredible exchange. God, thank you. Now listen, church, this is, this is a time for you to respond to what God's been saying to you through this message. Don't, don't let this time this special time of being here gathered as his body of believers who understand these things and have felt the conviction of God's uh, loving, loving finger, just putting it right there where he wants to tell you, listen, don't, don't carry this any longer. Come to me. Listen, it doesn't matter if you've been walking with God for a week or you've been walking with God for years and years. We must Go to him for cleansing and the washing of our robes 
So if there's anything that God has put on your heart, he's saying to you, don't delay. So this uh, space up here is open. You can, you can stay at your seat. You can turn around and get on your knees at your seat. You can go to the back. We'll have some people in the back if, if you just want to talk to someone. If you need to get something out into the light by talking to someone or you just want to get it out into the light by talking to God. Either way, this is your time to respond. There's no rush. But don't let this moment pass if he's calling you to himself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart.